Welcome to the Inner Athlete Podcast, where we discuss all things youth athlete development and youth mentoring. Uh, welcome back to the Inner Athlete Podcast. I've got Coach Matt here, and we're going to get pretty much straight into it. We're going to talk about the in-season and um, continuing to train outside of your practice um, in the gym and working on specific qualities. Um, and yeah, Matt, I'll let you take it off and give us the people a bit more context. Yeah, so like just Trent alluded to there, yeah, so we're talking about more for, I guess, more applicable to team sport uh, athletes. So right now we're about mid-season for most sports or ending the season if you're basketball and netball, um, those sort of uh, court sports. Um, but yeah, I just want to harp on the importance of maintaining strength training while in-season. Um, I guess the main benefits there to keep all the gains and the progress you made from the pre-season and... Um, and the off season that you did all the work you did there and then obviously trying to limit or negate any potential injuries that may be arising that can be caused from I don't know, overuse or just weakness or imbalance from left and right um, imbalance from the upper body and lower body um, any deficiencies you might have seen playing your sport you know you've had half a season of your sample size where you might realize okay well I don't know, my lateral quickness is suffering or my hamstrings or my back's pulling up sore or whatever it might be. Um, whatever these little alarm signs that pop up um, just gives us a chance to touch on them quickly um, and see if we can, um, yeah, cool. see if we can get them, yeah, sorted. Yeah, um, I guess there's a, um, there's a concept or an idea, it's called the residual training effects. Mm-hmm. And the residual training effects um, covers off um, speed, power, um, muscular strength, muscular endurance, um, cardiovascular fitness, um, then um, uh, lactate as well. So your ability to buffer lactate. Um, And when we train these characteristics, um, they and we stop training them for whatever for whatever reason these characteristics can stay at a high level for a certain period of time. Yep. And then from a sporting perspective, conditioning becomes less of an issue in season because you kind of do it in your drills, in training. You, you know, your heart rate's elevated. It might be 150 beats or might spike up to 180 beats if you're doing like some small-sided games or, you know, some, you know, short bursts of conditioning right, just to help top up. But the probably the biggest thing we tend to see is is more the decline in um, I guess running speed and power. Yeah. Now these qualities, they really have a, a window of five to five days, give or take, or th- three to five days, give or take, you know, two days either side, depending on the individual. Yeah. What that really means is we need to be training high velocity high contractile movements so whether it's sprinting jumping change of direction at a high intensity quite frequently now the best way you can actually think about it is is more micro dosing so when it comes to the the the, um, the athletes here so whether it's football um, soccer we like to micro dose some sort of speed element within their training. So usually we do like a general warm up and do a more specific warm up where we ramp up the intensity. We might do some uh, med ball, kick tosses, slams, box jumps, hurdle jumps, depending on the athlete that we're working with. And as a result, we want to put in some sort of speed work, especially for the field based sports. So like like football, soccer, uh, rugby, 
you know, we've got a lacrosse guy as well, and even baseball as well. Um, I think that kind of gets a sport that does get overlooked, even um, if you're playing winter cricket or something like that. And as a result, when you microdose it, so most of the members here, they'll train two or three times a week. We tend to put it in each time, and that we might change the specific movement that it is. It might be like a Swiss ball sprint start to 20 meters. It might be a 5-10-5 if we want to do more lateral work. Um, or it might be some sort of, you know, triple broad jump series or, you know, depth drop to box jump or something like that as well. So we're keeping the muscles almost like fast and twitchy mm-hmm. all the time, but we're doing it enough in order to maintain that quality. But some people actually will see some sort of upside if they do it long enough yep. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, yeah. So the more, the more repetition you get, the better you're going to get at it. So, um, that's where like someone who's maybe a bit more of a novice or, or a beginner in that sort of sense, they can actually gain speed and gain that top end speed throughout the season. Um, whether or where in the past you sort of see that as a myth per se, is you can't really gain speed or strength or power during season. But like I say, to remember, especially for youth athletes and we're working, um, from a pretty, you know, beginner base level in terms of strength, speed and power. Um, especially if we've just started training here, we like to focus on more general strength and muscular endurance and whatnot. When we're get, tapping into that more speed and power, a lot of the time that's quite new to the individual. So yeah, we can actually improve those areas throughout season, which hopefully leads into almost like a peaking effect when we're getting to finals or end of season when we want to be our best. Um, again, want to be best all the time, but I guess physically and how we've prepared, we're sort of leading up to the finals, the most important time of the year um, in the best shape possible physically. Then you, you alluded to something before. You mentioned um, about peaking for finals. Now, a lot of people that, um, a lot of the kids actually come here. Now, one of the things, I'm not bashing any programs or any coaches or anything like that, right? But a lot of a lot of what we hear from parents is, or even the athletes themselves, it's like, hey, are you doing any sprint training? Are you doing like any skill-based work where you're breaking it down, you know, doing very um, different start positions, whether you start on your front in a prone position or on your back or half kneeling and you're working on being, you know, you know, getting low, fast turnover of the feet as if what you would see in, in the sporting performance. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, no. They're not doing some sort of, warm-up specific work that's going to help them develop that skill acquisition component of sprinting. Yeah. And I think that's a real like low-hanging fruit for a lot of coaches that they're really missing and they're just avoiding it. And most of the time is if you look at, if you ask kids, what do you think their biggest problem is, is, you know, acceleration and speed. Yeah. Why wouldn't you try and microdose it for 10 minutes Get someone in, just come in for 10 minutes, expose the kids to some sort of running skills. And what will happen is you'll have like a layering effect. So you do your general warm-up, might be some sort of skills, games, mobility, whatever it is. Then you transition towards some sort of like speed-specific work. That will carry through throughout the whole session if they start to understand and feel better in the actual skills specific as well. So then you've got a simple to complex when it comes to the skill acquisition of sprinting and running and change of direction because the skills are transferable. The whole idea is, is get them faster and get them faster by putting them in the, in the correct positions, get them to feel it and understand it. And if you 
then you transition into some sort of skill-based work, then transition towards some sort of small side game and you and they start to notice like I'm feeling faster or you start to see that transition effect and you do it not just in one session, you have to do it over multiple weeks in order to get the desired effect. On the back end of the season, the team's faster, more agile, they're probably using less energy. So in the you know the last quarter or the last 20 minutes, they're going to feel a lot better and they're going to be able to put the hammer down because if you're running more efficiently, you're conserving more energy, which is an upside, but then you can tap into that later on down the track. So you, so where it is, yeah, like I said, finals, last 20 minutes of the match, last two, like oh, the final two minutes, you know, was a two-minute drill in basketball and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, th- these types of like areas, um, I think is where a lot of, junior sports could maximize the potential of the athletes and the players yeah and like you just alluded to in terms of i guess the subconscious effects like if you think of microdosing so if we're microdosing speed say here so they're getting well by microdosing you're, you're limited as a coach in terms of the amount of cues you can give and the amount of coaching advice you can give they're only doing four to five reps of I don't know 10 20 meter sprints in a session you know we can't overload them with too many different coaching coaching cues because it's going to get confused so in the same way like just the repetition we're going to get faster having them focus on one or two cues here and then going into if they're doing hopefully doing some speed work at their training as well they can focus on those cues there and then the same way that the speed just becomes subconsciously laid, the same coaching cues can get subconsciously laid um, throughout the weeks and they get more proficient and they come in next week, okay, we've nailed whatever last week's cue is, now we're going to focus on this one and they're just slowly getting better and better and better. Um, just optics-wise in terms of how the technique looks and then hopefully that carries over like we just Trent alluded to there in terms of their speed, agility, um, running efficiency um, and hopefully like I say running economy and their um, aerobic fitness is going to benefit as a result of improving their speed yeah because you can do as much skills as you want but if you don't have the speed to better to express those skills unfortunately those skills won't be expressed well at all yeah um and i think that yeah that's probably the biggest downside then if we talk more from a strength perspective right so muscular strength can if we're talking about the residual training effects can last for um, up to 30 days give or take five days depending on the individual right so in this case, and and power is a little bit different. I think power is because it's more uh, more um, central based. So talking about the brain and the spinal cord and the cord which helps coordinate the muscles. That um, I think I can't remember the top of my head, but it's a shorter window of time. Yeah. So I think it's about up to maybe eighteen days, I believe. Yeah, I thought it was ten to fifteen. Yeah, like probably, you're probably right on that yeah. one. Um. So when it comes to power and strength, we want to continue to maintain those qualities. So what we sometimes can do is we do more of a power block. Um, Emphasis doesn't mean we neglect strength. It means just strength is just a part of it, but power becomes more of an emphasis. Then we back off from that as well, let them recover and and adapt. It might have had a harder two or three week window when it comes to their performance. Then we reintroduce that as well. So we keep that quality going and we can still generally building out um, throughout the season as well. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure that we're, the athletes are still moving fast and have confidence in themselves, being explosive. Um, and a lot of the soccer kids that you're working with, if not 
their power has they've maintained their strength and power and speed if not some of them have actually improved um, throughout the season yeah so I think the sort of approach I've taken I've sort of just made it up I guess so I guess it's a mix of I guess a conjugate and contrast contrast type training so if they're here twice a week having a vertical contrast focus and a horizontal contrast focus um, and again each program so each four or five weeks they're changing the exercise so it might be RDL for a contrast focus it might be a trap bar it might be a normal deadlift it might be a power snatch or power clean high or pull like yeah that. yeah and then vertical focus we're changing from you know a full squat to a box squat to a high box squat to a front box squat to a whatever it might be so um, I guess that's a sort of conjugate element in there so again relinquishing that monotony to the training we're not going to come in and do the same sort of thing but yeah so pairing that contrast contrastingly so having the um, high force movement then the accelerated movement so a banded jump or something along those lines uh, and then the full over accelerated movement so it might be a band assisted jump or it might be a I don't know, broad jump and band assisted or it might be a triple broad jump or whatever it might be. Or it might be sprints even as well in that contrast loading. So having that focus up at the top of their, their main session, so following all the mobility and the, the speed and, and microdose power stuff or speed in the warm-ups, then moving on to the contrast loading, moving on to their main strength lift. So it would be an upper body lift of some sort and then paired with, I don't know, some upper body pull or something along those lines and then finishing off with their accessory work. So as we sort of touched on at the start, so trying to limit any of those overuse injuries, so um, adductors, hamstrings, calves, tibialis, all of those um, shoulders, so um, internal, external rotating, um, and the shoulders especially, um, just focusing on whatever the individual athlete might um, have had previous injuries to or might be might have brought up about in-season that they're a bit sore. Um, and yeah, it's a good part about the way we program here at an athlete. Every four weeks, we're changing it up. So we're able to quickly get on top of any other issues that might be arising. So whenever leaving a program for too long, they're not going too stale in terms of the monotony side, but also in terms of the physical preparation side, we're able to quickly chop and change things if something's come up um, and able to keep them prepared and, and moving fit and healthy, hopefully, for as long as we can. Yeah, and I think breaking... If you look at a lot of sports, a lot of them are monotonous in nature. You're doing the same things, the same drills, same running patterns, um, the way you kick the ball, strike the ball, and sometimes the monotony itself can be, uh, I can't pronounce this word properly, but deleterious or detrimental. Deleterious. I don't know if that's a word. I don't think so. (laughs) Um, It can be detrimental to them. So high monotony, high fatigue can lead to high fatigue increasing the likelihood of injury yeah when we when we provide some novel stimuluses so creating enough level of variety within their training and addressing areas where you know say for example it's the the soccer player that comes in um they just feel like they're a bit more battered and bruised through the knees and ankles or some or something like that then we can put in some ankle work specific specific so if they can take they feel like the the, the lateral part of their ankle is always sore they kind of like for whatever reason we can work on actually trying to strengthen up through those areas as well on the e-version the inversion side we might even put in some split squat holds with the, with the elevated heel and doing some calf races to strengthen up soleus 
Um, we might incorporate some lateral pogos um, for them as well. So we ex we're exposing them on both sides so it's not overloading one aspect when they're running. Um, as actually another point, um, um, Jake Tura, he actually mentioned this as well. When it comes to like jumping, a lot of us will tend to point our toes out. And I think this is quite important, especially in season. Like we tend to develop, you know, bad movement patterns throughout the season if we're not conscious of how we're actually moving. Mm -hmm. And what he actually said was when you're doing pogo jumps, and if we continually run and then the foot is um, turned outwards, almost like a pigeon pigeon foot, yeah, pigeon toed, um, we tend to load up more the medial aspect of the Achilles, right? And that area of the medial aspect, it continually gets overloaded and neglate, uh, neglect, neglect, uh, neglecting, thank you, yeah. <laughs> neglecting the lateral part. Yeah. And then what do you then? It was actually a really interesting point that you actually want to make sure that we're appropriately loading the whole structure so then the force is shared over a larger area so therefore we're not um the smaller parts aren't um, breaking down at a faster rate this therefore can actually leads over to overload to the area then something catastrophic could happen so he said just put your toes in yeah. when you're doing pogo jumps or doing some sort of skips or something like that or even when you're doing single leg skips your toes kind of inadvertently like point a lot straighter it's harder to point your toes out so I thought that was quite interesting from that perspective if you keep doing something one way eventually something will happen where well, it's, it's more it's going to be negative more so so go the other way and that's what we try and do with the programs as well is if you're exposed to something too much too often too frequently you need to go the other way and be able to create greater capacity for the athlete at the end of the day it reduces that overload um, perspective or aspect um, and then the athletes you know chumming along yeah 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 like you say yeah just adding that variety and um into their training is going to prepare them for that sporadic nature of whatever sport they're in and landing positions or um like you say eliminate that um overuse of the same striding pattern the same jumping pattern yeah better prepare them yeah i think the more rigid the program is the more likely something is going to happen yeah 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 and even recently like we've in the past um, we've sort of always had the same warm-up day one and day two and even now recently we've changed that to maybe the mobility stuff and the physical preparation side at the first half the same but the second half with all the plyometrics and sprints and and whatnot we sort of moved to a more a different approach from day one and day two. Um, I know I, myself, I've definitely programmed that. Um, sort of keep the same structure, but just exposing them to more to more variety throughout the week. Yeah, I guess variety is key in this case. Yeah, cool. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, nothing from me. Good luck for the finals, and or good luck for the rest of the season. Hopefully, you make finals. Yeah, I think the main message is. It's not so much, yes, variety is important, but it's the context around that variety as well. So whatever you're not doing enough of, probably do a little bit more of that. Whatever you're doing too much of, probably do a little bit less of that. I think yeah. that's the general message. If you're doing a lot of conditioning-based work at training, probably need to dial back, maybe do some speed work because that will complement the conditioning work. If you're doing very little strength work, it will complement your conditioning work, your, um, your conditioning, your speed, your durability, and your recovery as well. So... Um, I think I've spoken on a previous podcast with Nathan. Think of everything. It's like buckets. You know, everything has a certain capacity before it starts to overflow. Um, and then you start neglecting other areas where other buckets could take that capacity. Then you have like more of a, a general um, robust athlete. 
in that sense and um then i think yeah then just i guess monitoring i guess the monotony how tired the athlete athlete is you know and making sure that you're doing if you create some variety for the athlete they're going to feel better as a result in general um and that's what i've seen throughout my my years of coaching as well yep cool Easy. we'll wrap it up there if you like this one please share subscribe uh like this one we want to make sure that we're spreading the good word of what we're doing um and i think the main thing is i think the more power and more knowledge that parents have about this the better decisions they're going to make for their child and you know and the child you know if you're listening to this and some of our members listen to this one um, they're going to make better decisions in what they do moving forward and they'll be able to ask more questions whether it's to their coach or sports medicine or whoever or the, even their strength coach um, to help them move in the right direction when it comes to their development until the next one thanks you have just listened to the inner athlete podcast be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with the release of weekly episodes Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to get great tips on all things youth athlete development and youth mentoring.